0: your money, where your mouth is, I'm just saying, can't run the country, that's for sure, I'm just saying, gotta go on strike, Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the people need paying, so much toil and strife, I'm That you Well let me remind you
1: Hiya one and all, it's me Ross Hemsworth with Ross is Just Saying Episode 2 of our podcast series Now here in the UK we're brought up to believe that owning your own home should be everybody's desire A place of your own an asset that can be handed down when you die. But is it really all it's cracked up to be? 20 to 25 years of struggling to pay a mortgage, during which time your lender really owns your home and can repossess it reasonably easily if you default on your payments or fall on tough times. You can also lose it, like I did in a messy divorce, through no fault of your own or under unforeseen circumstances. And that pension or other cash sum you'd hope to have for later life is suddenly gone. So what are your thoughts on mortgage versus renting? Is it just a banker's debt trap to tie you in for most of your life? Or is it the best investment you've ever made? What experiences have you had? Well, before we went to air on this podcast, I asked a question on Facebook on my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Ross. Hemsworth check it out and you can actually be part of the next show which we're going to be doing on artificial intelligence and how it affects you the workplace and your future perhaps sooner than you think but for now let's have a look at some of the comments that have already come in about owning your own home or not Helen Livesey Jones says very glad my family were owners we've had something to pass on and share around There's been crazy times when rates have gone through the roof, but we've coped. Divorce and unemployment didn't help, but we got through. So yes, buy every time. Leslie Simmons says, I'm glad to have something to leave my kids. But even though the mortgage is paid, the upkeep is a bit of a struggle at times. And I do think social housing for everyone would possibly be the ideal. Dennis Hanna says, I bought my first home at the age of 21. It cost me £8,650 in 1979. The house is now worth 150000 plus. My mortgage was £70 a month. I was bringing home 100 plus a week, so my mortgage was less than one week's take-home wage. I've moved on a bit since then. I don't envy young people. They have a much tougher time in the housing market than was the case in my younger days. How many 21-year-olds today can buy their own home? renting is a little better. The rents go up and up, you never own a brick, people think that buying makes money. It doesn't because you are buying and selling in the same market. The only people who benefit are those who inherit the property. By the way, did you know, Ross, the word mortgage means death grip? Mm, Check that one out. Liz Williams. I have an ingrained desire to own my own home, which I think is very English. Continental Europeans so often rent lifelong. There are issues with mortgages, but although you're at the mercy of a lender, you're even more at the mercy of a landlord if you rent. I was overhearing someone in the pub today who has friends who were served with an eviction notice by their own son, who has met a woman and wants the house that he's renting to them. Richard Franklin Morse says I can't imagine anyone would even debate this. I bought one house, then I sold it and bought two. I sold them and bought ten. I'm now set for life. If I'd have stayed renting, I would have had nothing. Instead, I have four tenants paying me rent and I look forward to the first of the month instead of dreading it. P.S. I had a mortgage when I started, but now I have none. I'm debt-free. You might be interested to read my response to that one on Facebook. (laughs) You can imagine I did have something to say on that issue. Samantha Carr writes, I think the issue lies with lease length for renters. There's no security, as there is on the continent. Owning really only benefits the ones who already had money to invest, banks and house building companies en masse. As you've said, if you get ill you can lose your home, divorce, lost job, interest rates, or an unexpected roof leak can result in catastrophe. I do understand you can pass down assets if you own, which is a benefit, but if your rents weren't significantly higher than your mortgages, we could pass on savings or other assets. Neil Thornton, and I've had to edit this one, Neil <coughs> yes. No, I never wanted that weight tied to my neck, free spirit and all that bullshit. Unfortunately, I had to buy it as I was living in my sister's apartment. She lives in Oz and needed apartment money for a deposit on a house. Only good thing now is whenever I get home, it's mine and credit references shot up. Still can't wait to lead this country, though. <laughs> John Warren Oaks. When Libby and I first married in 1966, we rented for three years. In 1969, we bought a three bedroom, two bathroom, 1,039 square foot house for $16,000, $1,000 over building cost. Builder could show our house to prospective customers part of the deal. In 1980, after Third Child was born, we sold for $32,000. Bought 1,900 square foot, four bedroom, two bathroom house for $42,000. In 1997, we sold, $90,000 and bought a 2,375-square-foot, 4-bedroom, 2.5-bathroom house for $96,000. In 2014, we sold it for $127,000. We bought 1,800-square-foot, 3-bed, 2-bathroom in 2012 for $265,000. The first house is now worth $154,400. Second house now worth $262,900. Third house now worth $330,500 and our current home in Sedona worth $700,000. Mortgages paid off in 2021. The only way I could make money was to buy, fix and sell. Now John makes an interesting point here because the buy and fix market is a big one. People will buy cheaply quite often an auction, do it up, resell it either for a bigger place themselves, better home, smaller mortgage or they'll actually do it up to rent and this is where the buy-to-let landlords come into the factor. So are you looking to buy with a mortgage to rent it to someone or are you actually buying for an investment? These are things that I suppose we all need to consider when we're looking at whether to buy or rent. Thanks to all the contributors on the debate this week in Facebook. You can get involved for future shows either by commenting on the threads on my Facebook page at facebook.com forward or via Twitter at Ross underscore Hemsworth. So that's twitter.com Ross underscore Hemsworth. Gotta go
0: on strike. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The people need paying So much toll and stride.
1: Now I found an interesting piece on the internet from thedadsnet.com, I'm sure they won't mind me quoting them. It starts, don't miss a thing. Some people dream of home ownership whilst others prefer the flexibility of renting. However, for a lot of families, there's no choice. The housing price boom, increased deposit expectations and more cautious borrowing mean that renting is the only option for them. But if you have the choice, is it cheaper to rent or buy in the UK in 2023? A recent study by a major bank crunched the figures and can give you an insight into what you can expect to pay for both a mortgage and rent. Read on to find what the report uncovered. So I did. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Is it cheaper to rent or buy? The cost of a mortgage on a first home is typically around £42 per month cheaper than renting. But the difference has reduced in recent years, and in some parts of the UK, renting may be less expensive as an option, according to the analysis. First-time buyers could typically pay around £971 per month for a three-bedroom home, whilst renters would potentially fork out around £1,013 per month. This is according to calculations by the Halifax. The difference of around £500 per year between buying and renting is down from a peak reached in 2016. Back then, owners saved £1,567 annually on average. In 2021, buying a home was found to be around £1,300 per year cheaper than renting. The answer to is it cheaper to rent or buy is not as straightforward as just comparing rental costs with mortgage payments. The bank also factored in household maintenance, repairs, minor alterations and insurance costs for homeowners. It used its own house price data, mortgage figures from UK Finance, as well as data from the Bank of England and the Office of National Statistics. I'm always a bit wary about them because it's government run office isn't it, so uh, not 100% sure what to make of the ONS. Make your own mind up. Researchers assumed buyers would put down different deposit sizes depending on where they were in the UK, but the average deposit size across the UK was 23%, or £64,598. Now, I don't know about you, but does anyone actually have that kind of cash to put down? I suppose they must do. The UK's biggest gap between owners and renters in percentage terms was in Scotland. Those renting in Scotland pay an average of 918 per month compared with 727 for homeowners. That's a saving of 21% for those on the property ladder. In cash terms, those who had managed to get on the property ladder in London were nearly £3,000 a year better off than renters, according to this research. However, Halifax calculated that people in the capital needed a 32% or £188,663 deposit on average as first-time buyers. That's ludicrous, isn't it, really? At the other end of the spectrum, first-time buyers in the Northeast needed £32,920 for a 19% deposit on average. So where is renting cheaper than buying? The East of England was the only region where it was typically more expensive to buy a first-time home than rent one. Homeowners there were paying £90 more each month on average than those renting. Rising mortgage rates have been pushing up borrowers' costs, but as the housing market softens, there have been some indications of house prices coming down from their previous record highs. Of course, making the move from renting to home ownership can be difficult for many. Raising a sufficient deposit and then finding the right property can be a challenging process, and I know I've been there. Even with house prices expected to come down, it's tough to save for a deposit when rents are so high. So in answer to the question, is it cheaper to rent or buy in the UK in 2023? It's not quite as straightforward as you may think. Technically, it's cheaper to buy a house, but being able to achieve that goal, if that's what you want to do, is no easy option. Now I'm going to comment here before I go on to the next part of this. It's all very interesting, but an average council house in the south-west of England can cost as low as 450 to 550 a month, and all the repairs and maintenance are included, so you don't have sudden outlays of cash you've got to find yourself like you would do if you owned a home. So does this raise the question of whether the government should be making more money available for council homes and social housing and less to support these new builds of £300,000 plus homes for sale as we have in my area? Also I'd question just how good these new builds are. They often go up in a number of days, are prone to noise from neighbours and are often in need of expensive repairs very quickly. So just how long lasting are these homes? bearing in mind that many of the old council stock houses were built in the 1920s, 30s, 40s and are still there today. Some of the old cottages in the southwest were built in the 1600s and 1700s and are still there today. So could the new builds of today last that long? I very much doubt it. So let's look at renting versus buying, the benefits of renting. When it comes to renting versus buying, how do you know what's best for you? We take a look at the pros and cons of buying and renting, and how you can make this important decision. When it comes to finding a new home, how do you choose whether to rent or buy? Each option, of course, comes with its own unique pros and cons, but choosing one over the other isn't always easy. It used to be that renting was a more affordable option for having your own home, and in today's housing market, though, you might find that buying is the more affordable option. Which is the best depends on a number of factors, such as your living arrangements, your finances, job flexibility and location. Renting or buying will prove to be a more viable option depending on these above. Well, of course, not above to you because you're listening on a podcast, so neither above nor below, but you sort of get what I'm saying. It's important you know exactly what you need from your home before making the final decision. Even though we'd love to say that one is better than the other, the decision is a relative one. We'll take you through all the things you need to consider to make this appointment decision and by the end you should have a much clearer idea about whether to buy or rent your home. Now of course as they're going through this they're structuring piece by piece the differences. So I'm going to skip through a little bit um, and I'm going to go on to the next page. Mortgages versus monthly rent. They say when you pay rent to a landlord you're essentially helping them to pay for their mortgage on the property. The landlord will charge you based on the current interest rates and maintenance as your landlord is responsible for repairs and overall upkeep, so you pay more for this service. Now, I know a lot of renters who don't get that kind of service from their landlord, even though they should. Private renting can be costly because you are paying for more than just your mortgage. You're paying for maintenance and the luxury of less responsibility. Your rental contract can last from anything from 6 weeks to 12 months the average contract being 12 months and this allows you to walk away from a property if you don't like it or you want to move to a new area. But of course it also gives your landlord the ability to throw you out at the end of that as well. If you fail to pay your mortgage the bank is within its right to repossess your home. This is because your mortgage is a loan that's secured against the property itself. Whether you will be accepted for a mortgage depends on many different factors plus which the mortgage you apply for will also be based on things such as your income, your monthly spend, your own debts, your credit rating etc etc. The list goes on. I heard someone say to me recently that at the average time it's taking currently to get a mortgage approved from the application to the finalisation is 12 to 18 months. Now how many properties do you know of that would just hold on the market for that period of time? whilst you get a mortgage offer. Crazy. Something that renters do not have to deal with are the many taxes and hidden costs of owning their own home. Landlords will often include these taxes in the cost of your monthly rent. Much like the cost for maintenance, your rent will help pay any taxes on the property. When you buy your own home, you'll also have to pay taxes such as stamp duty, land tax. This is only on homes of over 250000 If you buy a property that's worth less than that amount, you won't have to pay stamp duty. At the time of making this podcast, that was the case, but with this government, you never know, they might change it tomorrow. They don't seem to be able to change their own drawers, do they? But that's one for another programme. If you're buying your home, you also need to be aware that when you come to sell it, there might be capital gains tax. This is unless you have lived in it as your main home for all the time you've owned it, not let out any part of your property or used it, part of it, for a business grounds and buildings that are smaller than 5,000 square meters. Now although you may have to pay taxes, admin fees, broker costs or other costs, buying could still be a viable option. This depends on if you can afford the deposit and you can get a low-cost mortgage. In some cases, the cost of taxes and admin costs when buying a home can still be cheaper than the monthly rent. It depends on things like location, deposit and monthly income. When it comes to deciding which is more affordable for you, You better ask yourself these questions. One of the biggest deciding factors when it comes to renting versus buying is responsibility. How much responsibility do you want to take on the property? Owning your own home isn't just a financial commitment, it's an energetic commitment. You'll be in charge of keeping the house maintained and in good condition. Any maintenance costs and jobs will have to be managed and paid for by you. If something goes wrong, you'll be the one responsible for fixing it and for finding the money to do so. Many people prefer renting in this respect because it gives them more peace of mind. If there's a maintenance issue, all they have to do is inform their landlord. Huh, yeah, sometimes. Their landlord then organises to get the problem fixed. Again, sometimes. The most you might have to do is make sure the property is accessible for repairs. Even if your landlord requests for you to pay any repairs or maintenance, you will be reimbursed essential living apartments for example always have someone on hand 24 7 this means tenants never feel on their own should an emergency arise so is buying or renting best for you when it comes to responsibility and maintenance of your home that was written by mark flint the author for essential living which is i think a blog site but well done mark it's nicely put and there's there's a bit more on there so if you want to read up on that um, just search mark flint on essential living and you'll be able to find the article that I've borrowed for this show. Now, I want to talk to you about my own situation here, because I'm in a situation where, over the years, I've been both wealthy and poor, up and down, as quite a lot of people's lives are. There's been times where, on paper, I've been worth probably seven figures, and there's been times where I certainly haven't. I've been in both rented and mortgaged accommodation, I sort of get it why people want to buy their own house. Uh, My view at the time was more about a pension. That when the kids had grown up, you could maybe downsize the house, get something smaller, cash the difference and pay yourself a decent pension. That was always the plan. Then I got divorced and that all went terribly wrong. Mixture of bad barrister, bad advice. It all went down the drain. I lost the house and basically everything I had at the time and had to start again. So I went into rented accommodation. Now I was born in a council house well not born in the council house but I lived and grew up in a council house so I was sort of au fait with the way that council houses work and the system involved although obviously over the years it's changed considerably. Council housing back then when I lived in Kent was very much the norm. Everybody around where I lived lived in a council house they left the doors open everyone was friendly in and out of each other's houses, the council did everything to upkeep the house, all you have to do is give it a lick of paint every now and again. Council housing today is different because a lot of it is owned by limited companies and run under what they call social housing and you have to be a little bit careful here because they have rights that perhaps once weren't the case with council houses. You'd have a council house for life and that was it, you could stay in it, you know, what my mum and dad did all of their lives. These days, The tenancy terms are somewhat different and I won't go into individuals because everyone is different but you do have that security of a longer lasting tenancy that you don't get with private landlords. So my own feeling is that if there was more council housing built and unfortunately Thatcher took all that away when she decided to sell it all and make a lot of people believe they were middle class and thus conservative voters and the council house stock went it became private. These days, the governments, whether they be new Labour, as they like to call themselves, or Conservative, and they're much of a muchness, to be fair. I used to be a Labour Party member. I'm no longer a Labour Party member because I don't like the way the party's going. But again, that's something for another programme. I do believe, though, that too much money is being spent on new builds and supporting new builds. Small villages across the West Country are now getting built upon farmland is disappearing, Sights and views are disappearing. And okay, you may argue that you don't buy a view when you buy a house, and that's quite right. But it's still a shame to see lovely villages disappearing to the blight of these new rabbit hutches that all look the same. Do you remember that old song, living in ticky-tacky little boxes? It's what it seems like to me now. Maybe I'm just getting old, I don't know. But I look around and I think, I'd rather have the scenery. I moved to the West Country because I loved the views, I loved the countryside, and I don't want to see that disappear. Now you might argue that if more council homes were built, we'd still have the same problem. We'd still have ticky-tackies going up, they'd still be blighting the landscape. But people could probably afford them. Now despite where we've gone with the programme so far, where evidence is showing that renting can, can be a lot more expensive than buying, you don't have to find the massive deposits. Now if you've got a fine, to find 60 to 70,000 pound for a deposit on a house then where do you go from there? If you haven't got that kind of money and you haven't got someone that can lend it to you then you've really got no choice. And that is where the problem lies. Now just finally I want to touch on an article from positivemoney.org and it's uh, it's an interesting piece because it tells you a little bit you might not know about money itself. A system of money it says or money creation, was invented and developed during a time when war was seen as glorious, when the strong, robbing and managing the weak was admired as good and right, and when class oppression was thought desirable in the interest of making a strong nation. Banks create money in a way that supports those activities, and today the world is a different place, and their objectives are, officially, at least more or less opposite to the ones listed. But we're still lumbered with our antiquated system of creating money as debt. All money, even notes and coins, is debt from banks of one kind or another. Bear this in mind when you're borrowing for a mortgage. The title of the chapter here is An Accusation, A Massive Industry of Debt Creation, Financial Services, that is better known. Is today devoted to creating money and value for the rich and debt for the less well off. It's become an enormous cancer on humanity, draining life and livelihood from productive workers that would be working and the poor. As for the poor, they are now an increasing portion of the world's population. Despite advances in science, technology, entrepreneurship, productivity, mechanization, and organization, our money system concentrates power and is a machine for transferring property from people to financial predators. Bear that one in mind. The process has taken us so far towards self-annihilation. Why not state the obvious? If you believe that riches should be gained in return for contributing something to the common good, we live not under a democracy, but a kleptocracy. Rule by thieves. Gaining control of the money has always been the ultimate dream of the ambitious. The richest man who ever lived. Jacob Fugger. And I've got to be a bit careful how I say that. Jacob Fugger. A German born in 1459 kick-started his career by getting control of the emperor's silver mines. Command of the money supply brings with it command of much else besides for the simple reason that money buys not just things but also labour, production and of course, political advantage. Today is not an individual but a class that profits from the way money is made. That class includes governments, predatory financiers and commercial bankers who are the bagmen for the rest. Now there's a lot more on this site, positivemoney.org, which I think you should all read because you may not know, but all money is debt. And where it used to be that gold was the asset behind each borrowing, so for each note that you're given, promising to pay the bearer, it was always based on gold supplies. Now it's a series of ledgers where money doesn't really exist. It's transferred from one ledger to another. So what you're actually using is a myth. And what you're actually spending, or indeed borrowing, is also a myth. They create debt. To pay out new money. Just think about that for a moment that the debt is what is actually creating the source of money. I'm going to leave you with that thought in mind because, believe me, when you read this site and you go right the way through what's going on, there's a lovely line The tyranny of fraud is not less oppressive than that of force. Well, it's always fun. <laughs> in many different ways, doing a podcast. And uh, I like to think with each podcast, I'm bringing you a couple of little snippets in there somewhere that'll really hit home. And just saying is exactly that. If you read my Facebook page or my Twitter, I quite often finish a sentence, just saying, because at the end of the day, I suppose I am. I'm just saying. I'm one voice in a multitude. Many, many people that will speak out, say what they think but when it comes to voting where do they go straight to the same two parties all the time who are giving you the same nonsense doesn't matter who you vote for the government always get in as one person once said and isn't that just the truth you're being conned left right and center your fuel prices are through the roof even though barrelage costs came down we were blaming ukraine and the war and russia and various other people for the reasons why we were paying more for everything. You're being conned. Absolutely every corner of rising prices is the same. You are being conned. And what makes it worse is that when people go out on strike because they say, look, I'm sorry, but we can't take any more of this anymore. We just, we we have to have higher wages. They then blame the strikers. They blame the unions. Look how they've tried to bring down McLynch. Look how the nurses who we once clapped for on our doorsteps are now being persecuted because they dare strike for better conditions, more money. They need that just to live. These people work incredible hours and the people that clapped on their doorstep, what hypocrites those people have become, the very same people now, criticising the nurses and people they clapped for. It makes my bloody piss boil. It really does. And on that note, Ross is just saying, have a good one. See you next time. Oh,
0: put your money where your mouth is I'm just saying Can't run the country, that's for sure Yeah, I'm just saying Watch your grind What's on your mind? Not your type, will you? Let me remind you. I'm just saying.
1: Just Saying is a Remote Highway media production presented, produced and edited by Ross Hemsworth. Check out www.remotehighway.co.uk The theme track for the show is written by Ross Hemsworth and Tim Bragg and is sung by Tim Bragg. The show is recorded in Somerset, UK and is the copyright of Ross Hemsworth. Yeah, that's me. Just Saying. Just Saying.